0: Oh baby, the time has come for me to talk about Immortals of Avium. This is a game I've had my eyes on for a while, and after getting a look at it earlier this year behind closed doors for an event that EA Originals was throwing, I gotta say I was interested in this. It seemed like it had potential. This is the first game from Ascendant Studios, headed up by Brett Robbins, who's the former creative director of Dead Space 2008, and also somebody that spent almost a decade working at Sledgehammer Games as a senior creative director director, and is the mind behind many of the most successful Call of Duty games of the last decade. And Immortals of Avium aims to be a really unique experience for players. Not only is it an original IP, which is refreshing in and of itself, considering we rarely see original IP nowadays, with every single franchise seemingly getting rebooted or remastered constantly, and thanks to its use of the Unreal Engine 5, it is incredibly beautiful to boot. But all of that is great, and a lot of it is just marketing. What is the game actually like when you play it. Well, I've had the game for about a week, shout out to EA Originals for sending the review code so early, that's awesome. And after finishing it and playing a bunch of the side content, I have some strong thoughts about Immortals of Avium. You see, I find the game wildly impressive for a few reasons, and also problematic for others. This really is a mixed bag. Some parts of it are really, really great, and then other parts of it just fall flat by the end of the game's 12 or so hour runtime in the main story, 15 to 18 hours if you're playing a completionist run and then there are some writing decisions that are so baffling it leaves me confused as to how anybody thought this was a good idea to put it all simply i find the game graphically impressive i think initially it's really exciting and different but by the end of the game's runtime it starts to feel pretty stale i think the world they've built here has a lot of potential to be shown in more detail however i do think that a tone adjustment really needs to be made because all over the place there are direct conflicts between tones of characters that make the whole game feel like it's not taking itself seriously. And while I've enjoyed my time with Immortals of Avium, the $60 price tag is still steep for a 12 hour or so main story campaign. Which to be honest, you may not even be able to run because this game is damn heavy. I tested this on two different gaming PCs and they both struggled to achieve what I would consider to be expected frame rates. Even my supercomputer here struggled to achieve over 70 frames a second consistently, sometimes even down further into the 50s and when i tested this on a 3070 it also struggled to maintain above 60 frames when rendering at lower settings than that all told this game is just really graphically intensive so you should definitely do your homework as to whether your hardware can handle it it looks beautiful the unreal engine 5 is a tremendous piece of tech but it requires some tremendous hardware to use it as you would expect now the core gameplay is tied up in as you would expect shooting Your abilities are tied up in three types of magic, each color-coded. There's blue, green, and red magic. The player character happens to be capable of employing all three of these at the same time, while most characters in this universe can only use one. Blue Magic basically takes the form of your semi-automatic rifle or pistol, and as the game goes on, you will be able to level it up using currency you receive from exploration and completing main story quests, and eventually it will take the form of a very high potency single shot or semi-automatic weapon that's used for targeting weak points or going after headshots. Red Magic takes the form of a basic shotgun, and it's primarily meant for close range attacks, and it packs one hell of a punch, though this is achieved by sacrificing a total capacity, meaning that you have to recharge or effectively reload before firing again. And green magic takes the form of an automatic weapon that sacrifices individual hit damage for a steady stream of damage which is useful for thinning out crowds or for quickly landing shots on enemies that you would otherwise struggle to land weak point shots on. Each of these can be upgraded as the game goes on, as I mentioned before, by spending the currency you'll discover while exploring and using color coded essences that you also discover while exploring. You can also swap out these sigils for different different ones which is just what they call this bracelet gauntlet thing that you're wearing these are effectively different weapons as you swap them out so one sigil might allow you to fire three shots with your blue magic before needing to reset it or reload it and others may allow you to fire more though at the cost of individual hit damage at this point you might be thinking that this sounds pretty elaborate and while I think it could have been it doesn't really go anywhere after this At the end of the day, blue magic weapons are still basically just semi-automatic pistols or rifles. Red magic sigils are just shotguns and green are automatic rifles. The difference is that you fire a little magic ball instead of an individual bullet. then you reload by waving your fingers around instead of replacing mags. I understand this was developed as a magic FPS, and so it's different from the standard games in this genre, but it doesn't really feel all that different from a typical first person shooter. Other than that, you only effectively get three weapons. Because while you can still swap out sigils to achieve different effects, they are all still remarkably similar to each other, meaning that you will rarely feel as though you are making a noticeable difference from upgrade to upgrade. The closest I got to feeling a noticeable difference was when I swapped out my blue sigil for one that had a very low rate of fire and very low capacity, but had very high damage output. This effectively turned it into a sniper rifle, which I thought was pretty cool. But as far as I could tell, it didn't change how the actual visual representation of the shot appeared it just slowed it down and increased the damage i don't really know what i was expecting other than something other than this i would just expect that a spell that does significantly more damage would have more of a bombastic effect or something but when you're actually playing the game all of the blue sigils basically feel the same to shoot besides the fire rate as do all of the red and green sigils as well and again this is a problem because other than a quick melee slap these are the only three weapons that you will have through the entire game while you can customize them and swap them out upgrade them so they do a little bit more damage here and there or maybe have faster reload speeds it doesn't change the fact that throughout the entire game it feels like you're running with basically three weapons For the entire game. Now, they're able to shake this up by throwing many different combat encounters at you by introducing a whip that you can use to pull enemies close to you or swing around arenas, a little green blob that you can throw at enemies to slow them down, allowing you to pivot and reach weak points easily, and even a magical shield that blocks incoming damage that can be upgraded to provide a concussive blast when it finally breaks, giving you a chance to pivot and reposition again. And all of this is great, but once you get your feet under you, you will be reminded that this is still just at the end of the day. Basically, a first-person shooter with three weapons, and that's it. You can tweak them a little bit, but not enough to make them really feel as though anything significant is changing. Now, to be fair, I wouldn't call this a deal-breaker, though. The campaign is not very long, so it's not like you'll be forced to deal with these same weapons for 100 hours or something. And frankly, I think a few weapons can be tolerated, so long as the encounters themselves are well-implemented and varied. Look at a game like God of War Ragnarok. That's a game that basically features three weapons. Or, I guess, four, if you count Kratos's fists as a weapon. Which, let's be honest, you definitely should. And I happily played that game for dozens upon dozens of hours because the encounters in which you used your weapons were so well done. So all of this could be excused if the encounters in Immortals of Avium were varied and really, really interesting. Are they? What do you think? It's kind of a mixed bag. During most of the game, you'll be running from one location to another. Without a doubt, and without exception, from point A to point B, you will be running through waves upon waves of enemies. These are all narratively justified, so it doesn't feel too arbitrary or too contrived, but I was struck by just how few opportunities they also gave the player to rest. Early in the game, there's a handful of sequences where, for example, you will attend a dinner in your honor as a celebration, but this sequence only lasts somewhere between 90 seconds to 5 minutes, depending on whether you talk to people in the area. After that, you go to sleep, progress the story, and hit another combat encounter almost immediately. Personally, I felt as though the game would have been much better served if they had given me a handful of opportunities to process what was happening in the main story, because a lot does happen, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Give me a big bombastic scene where the stakes are high and the heroes fail to live up to the expectations to which they are held, but then... Give me a very quiet scene where I'm just getting exposed to this world that I've been tasked with saving. So often it seems as though games that feature a lot of action are scared to embrace the quiet, and I think that's a huge mistake. The best analogy I can think of is with a painting. When the artist begins with a white canvas, you may say that leaving the white exposed would be lazy or uninteresting, when in reality, that's the only way you can have true contrast and allow the image to pop that is to let the white canvas shine through instead of trying to cover the entire thing with paint. But with all of that being said, enemy variety is very poor, which is why it's all the more frustrating that there's this constant flood of encounters. If there were more breaks, maybe I would have forgotten that I just fought this same exact mini boss like 20 minutes before, but because it's just constant, I'm always reminded that there's only really maybe 10 enemy types for you to fight through throughout the entire game. They try to introduce one or two different different types in each new overarching area, but for the most part they all fight and feel the same, so it effectively doesn't matter. The ranged attackers all fight the same way, as do the ones that rush you in close combat, as do the brutes, etc. It doesn't really matter if they're wearing humanoid armor or have been reskinned to look like something else, the way you deal with them is the same, so it doesn't feel like a different enemy, even if it is technically altered. One interesting way they start experimenting with these archetypes later in the game is that they will begin to give characters shields, that are color-coded for one of the three magic types. So if you come across a brute that is shielded with red magic, you have to swap to that red sigil, or in other words, your shotgun effectively, to break it before you can actually deal damage to him. And this is very similar to how the shield system worked in Hogwarts Legacy earlier this year. And I also liked it a lot there. In a 1v1 encounter, it's perhaps not that interesting, but when you're fighting five or 10 enemies all at once, quickly swapping between magic types to break the various shields that you see, is exhilarating and challenging. It worked in Hogwarts Legacy, and I think it works here too. It's just really unfortunate that it takes around four to five hours before you start to see it employed in full force in Immortals of Avium, which is a particularly egregious offense when you realize that this game only has 12 or so hours of main story content. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are going to get burnt out on the weapon archetypes before they reach that point when combat really gets interesting. Boss encounters are also a mixed bag. Many of them are quite interesting and challenging the first time you encounter them and others are laughably easy. It's pretty inconsistent as far as I can tell. For example, every time I fought one of these humanoid magic users, I was blown away at just how easy they were since they were basically just an AI version of the player character. But instead of using all three magic types, they could only use one, which made them a very stilted fight where if they were focused on red magic, all of their attacks were very close ranged focused. So you just keep your distance and you can take them out very easily. Same with if they are a blue magic user, you get in close with red magic and you can take them out no problem. Most of these boss encounters also often bring a swarm of enemies to help them, but it doesn't mean much because I always found these encounters a walk in the park. Other more unique boss encounters, such as this very early game example against the dragon are much more interesting and even challenging, but unfortunately the game tends to recycle a lot of these bosses if you do see them again. You'll defeat one gigantic slenderman looking boss and then you're gonna see him recycled easily a half dozen times more by the time the game ends sometimes alone sometimes with a duplicate sometimes made a little bigger or a little smaller But effectively, it's the same boss, just recycled. These subsequent encounters might not be billed as boss fights with a large health bar, but rather as mini-bosses. However, I would say that they are still recycled. I guess you could look at this in one of two ways. On the one hand, you could say it's lazy recycling that was meant to pad out gameplay time since they didn't have the budget or ability to create more unique bosses. Or, on the other hand, you could say that it's a meta-narrative commentary on how one enemy was initially so challenging that they served as a boss for the player But as the player and the player character grew in power, these major challenges became trivial matters as time went on and as experience was gained. But however you look at it, I don't think it really matters. They recycle a lot of boss encounters and whether that was intentional for meta narrative reasons or just because of budget limitations. I don't really know. All I know is that they recycle a lot of it, and it's very noticeable, and especially noticeable because the game, again, is only 10 to 12 hours long. But one thing I do want to give them credit for is the sheer spectacle involved with a lot of enemy encounters in this game. As I mentioned earlier, you've no doubt noticed this is one heck of a looker of a game. Immortals of Avium is gorgeous, and you would expect it to be considering it's running on the latest edition of Unreal Engine. And while much of what you will see in this video will do a good job of showcasing just how pretty this game can be, I'm keeping most of the large set piece and most epic moments off screen since I would constitute them as spoilers. Seriously, some of the stuff that they casually present to you on screen is so pretty and crazy, I had to do double takes of wondering if it was actually running in real time. It's been a while since I was playing a game and took my hands off the controls to take in a cut scene only to realize after a very uncomfortable and awkward brief pause that it was running in real time and that I needed to take control again. It's an awesome feeling and it's really cool to see this level of production value present in a game from a brand new studio that's never put something out before and that only costs 60 dollars i know what a lot of people are saying oh luke 60 bucks is full price not anymore i mean nowadays 70 bucks seems to be the new full price so 60 is technically the new 50 which i guess makes this a budget title which maybe makes the shorter runtime more acceptable I don't know make of it what you will now one thing I also have mentioned a few times is the exploration you'll be doing within levels and unfortunately this is a point where I think the game also falters as you go through the story you'll explore many different levels and most of these will feature fast travel points mixed into the maps early on you will get multiple pop-ups that encourage you to return to these areas later to see what they have to offer once you have new abilities that allow you to unlock new pathways or rewards and this isn't something new it's technically classified as metroidvania style level design and it's extremely common nowadays in AAA game development but what i will say is that i consider this game to be pretty heavy on the easy side of things so i never felt the need to go looking in every nook and cranny for upgrades or things to improve my power Maybe this was intentional because they didn't want you to be torn out of your immersion of the main story, instead reserving these activities for the end game perhaps, or maybe they really did intend you to take breaks during the main story, granting that levity as I mentioned earlier in order to go back to previous levels and search for items. I'm really not entirely sure, but what I do know is that I never really felt the need to go do this side content before the main story was over. The few times that I did feel curious enough to go and explore with my new abilities to see if I could unlock anything new or interesting interesting i inevitably ended up disappointed with the lackluster rewards which left me underwhelmed and left me wondering why i bothered and why i should bother in the future several times i went to explore areas i'd already been to with new abilities and what i found there was worse than what i already had equipped again i'm not sure if they were intending you to just take breaks throughout the main story and do side content and go explore levels you've already been through again or if they wanted you to wait till the very end of the game i really don't know All I know is that I don't think it works either way, whichever they meant it to be. However, they meant it to work. I just don't think it accomplishes it because in the moment you don't want to go back and stop the momentum of the story to go and do that stuff over. You just got through a level. Why would you go back? But if you want to wait till after you finish the main game, all of the stuff there is too weak for you so there's just no reason to really do it it's at least fun there are some cool puzzle areas you can go to that offer like platforming challenges and stuff like that but not enough to justify like spending another five to six hours in the game as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of power, you also will be leveling up your character by acquiring new talents, and these can be as small as a 5% increase in damage for a particular magic type, or as expansive as significantly changing how damage is calculated for a given sigil. Some of these are more useful than others, and they encourage the player to carefully choose which ones they want to choose and which branch of the skill tree to go down. I thought this generally worked well, but again, because of the game's short run, Run time it never feels as though you can really customize your character precisely as you want him to be so all told I feel like the game respects the player's time and doesn't fill itself with a bunch of grind like oh this boss encounter is really tough you should go do side content until you've leveled up to the point where you can handle them they never do that but then they still have this side content which seems like that should justify the shorter run time but the side content isn't useful or interesting So you're just kind of left in this spot where you just don't bother with it. It's just unfortunate. What's also unfortunate are the narrative issues as well. My biggest frustrations with Immortals of Avium are tied up in the two most obscure and vague elements of a game's narrative. So allow me to be clear that this is subjective. Just because I found these things to be lacking does not mean that everybody else will feel the same way. For an example, I don't personally mind that Oppenheimer's a three hour long movie. I'm down to watch it and enjoy it. But my wife would rather go to the dentist and get a root canal than sit through a three hour long movie that's very slow and potentially even dry. Nobody's right or wrong. It's just different preferences and tastes. So keep that in mind as I go through these. I'm going to show you a couple of examples that are not spoilers or anything, so they shouldn't cause any issues, but hopefully they can demonstrate my point. Firstly, I think the pacing of the story is all over the place. In general, the campaign clips along at a steady pace and provides the player with a steady drip of big set pieces, boss fights, and interesting encounters. I never felt as though there was a lot of fluff with the game or chapters of the game that had clearly been built up by a secondary team to pad out gameplay time. Simply put, I think that this is a lean game that doesn't waste the player's time with unnecessary bloat. They have a story they want to tell, and I think they tell it well over the course of the runtime. Where I I get frustrated is in the very fact that this story moves so consistently at such a fever pitch. In the first few hours, it's great because there's always something big and bombastic happening, but after 3 or 4 hours of gameplay, I'll be damned if I don't want a couple of calm sequences where I can mentally reset. It's also crucial outside of the context of a video game where the player could actually be fatigued by constant combat encounters. Because in any sort of narrative, you have to make sure that the audience has time to process what just happened. If you don't give them the chance, they can very easily become overwhelmed with everything happening or mentally check out or simply forget some of the major developments since so much was thrown at them all at once. We've all been there where there's this big info dump within five minutes and we all inevitably forget half the information communicated. It's no different in storytelling. I think this game would have been much better served granting the players a handful of slower sequences where you're doing menial tasks or simply exploring this interesting world that they've created. We don't have to have a combat encounter every five minutes to keep the players engaged just have some faith in the world that you've created and let it do the work for you maybe this is simply an artifact of the reality that this is the first game from this studio and it's also a new ip but either way i look forward to seeing what this team is able to do once they've settled into this world a little bit more assuming we get a sequel or something like that however so far i've been going through a lot of minutiae smaller things and tidbits not a whole lot hyper negative or anything, just things that don't work super well or that I would tweak or change or adjust. But now I get to go into my biggest problem with Immortals of Avium, and that is the tone. At times, this game feels as though they're trying to tell a pretty intense story through the eyes of a scared and wounded individual in the form of Jack. These characters are fighting in something known as the Ever War, which as you can imagine, is pretty intense. Literally countless people have died, Millions and millions, cities, nations, and even civilizations have suffered under the weight of the misery this conflict has brought upon everyone. And within the first four hours of the game, you'll be thrust into multiple situations where the actions of you and the secondary cast could directly impact the outcome of this conflict, and thus the fate of all existence itself. And this is why it's all the more frustrating that neither Jack nor pretty much anybody else in the secondary cast seems to take any of this seriously. They all joke around, they're kidding, they're goofy, they're quirky, oh my god, so quirky, and it drives me crazy, because they shouldn't be, they should be worried that if they screw this up, millions more people will die. Jack, for example, fits the archetype of a standard type of character, which is extremely common in these types of games. That is to say, he's very capable, largely self-reliant, and perhaps an overly confident person who will charge headfirst into situations in which he would be much better suited, leaving it be until backup arrives. When faced with difficult situations or stressful conversations, he often deflects the seriousness of these encounters by way of jokes or attempted quips. I say attempted because I feel like there were many, many times over the course of Immortals of Avium where the writers were trying desperately to make me laugh with various things Jack would say or the secondary cast would say, but I don't think there was a single occasion when they succeeded in this. Often, instead, I was just left confused as to why this character wasn't taking this dire situation as seriously as I was. Some of the main cast will rebuke him for this cavalier attitude early on, which certainly helps. It makes me feel like I'm not going crazy, but it does little to make him feel. Feel more likable. In the opening hours, which I would stress are the most important as far as establishing a relationship with the player, I think he often comes off as the annoying high schooler who doesn't take anything seriously because he's just too cool for that. There are other narrative explanations as to why he behaves this way, and as the story goes on, he seems to mature a lot, but it doesn't change the fact that for the first handful of hours, you're going to be embodying a character that doesn't take these situations or encounters anywhere near as seriously as you would expect, or as you would, should you be in the same position. In a lot of ways, it's like the Marvel-ification, Marvelification, if that's a thing, where every writer is trying to be like really witty, like, like James Gunn writing for Guardians of the Galaxy or Taika Waititi, who just says outrageous things which don't make a lot of sense in the context that he's saying them, but it's funny, so that makes it okay. It's really really annoying. Like I get that sometimes Andrew Garfield being Spider-Man and just being Cavalier and silly while he ruins people's lives might be entertaining in that context in that franchise, because he's a very talented actor who can pull that off. But very, very few people can pull that off. And even then, a lot of people like me found him and his version of Spider-Man really detestable because of his Cavalier attitude with everything. And in this case, They're constantly trying to make the player laugh with weird random jokes thrown out at very inappropriate times. And it just does not sit properly with the player because again, this is a very serious situation and all of them are still just joking around and being silly with it, It it's bizarre. But that being said, at times he's in good company because one of the supporting cast members, Devin, is much more egregious an offender here. Around four hours into the game, you'll be tasked with going on a mission with him, and it's your first chance to really get to know the guy, Prior to this, he just seems like a light-hearted individual, but certainly far from insufferable. He just seems to know his stuff and is pretty confident in that. But unfortunately, he seems to take this as a challenge, and in the span of about 15 minutes, he will convince you that he's one of the most annoying characters to grace a video game narrative since, well, uh, just a few months ago. You have so much potential. I I can do so much more with my life. I'm a smart girl with a bright future what the fuck are you talking about similar to jack his light-hearted attitude is often rebuked but in his case it's all the more confusing since he has been in his position as an immortal or a very powerful soldier effectively for a few years according to dialogue with him you have in the first act he has been in a leadership role within this fight known as the ever war for years and he talks about the goings-on of the army's day-to-day life and even tactical decisions for upcoming battles as if he's negotiating with his friends which frozen yogurt shop they should go to on a tuesday night after getting out of a zumba class they attended though they only stayed for half of it because they were starting to work up a sweat and that was just too uncomfortable if you think i'm exaggerating with all of this i get it I'm just going to play this clip where uh, Devin is in an argument with another character who isn't happy to see him because of the organization he represents. This is in no way like spoilery. It's just a sequence that plays out. And I think they were trying to be funny here with both of the characters' dialogues. And instead it just took me back to college when people that don't know what they're talking about try to sound really smart. I'll just let it play. I love neo-anarchist Pablum as much as the next week need revolutionary but I think we can both admit it loses its luster when it ultimately results in the destruction of your entire kingdom. That's not what happened, and you imperialist fuckos know it. Oh, did I say kingdom? I'm sorry, I meant a failed collective that's now just a stretch of Gravity challenged rocks. Maybe the next wrong-headed, egalitarian social experiment with magic fares a bit better than all of this unchecked calamity. Wow. Yeah, like, I don't know what that was supposed to be. Like, I really don't. I don't know if that was supposed to be like funny or witty or charming. I'm not going to go into details, but like they want you to really like Devin. Okay. Like no spoilers. They want you to really like Devin. They think that the player is going to really care about this guy. And this just made me hate him. (laughs) Like again, if I have a friend that talks like that around me, I'm just going to be like, shut up, dude. Like, what are you talking about? No one cares. Like, stop it. Like, like, you're being, like, I don't know if you're trying to sound smart or funny or, like, Whatever it is, it's not working, so stop it. Now listen, I know that some of these characters are written this way so that they can have a character arc and grow over the course of the story, as in the case with Jack. But in the case of Devin, I don't think there is an excuse for this. The fact that he's still in a leadership position while acting like such a buffoon demonstrates to me, the player, that those leading this operation are probably not all that well equipped to lead the entire realm after this war is over call me crazy, but if they thought this guy was qualified to be in this position, and after giving him years to figure it out, for him to still act like a fresh recruit that hasn't seen a lick of combat yet, I don't think they should be trusted with humanity. With the original Last of Us game, in that case, the tone was much more consistently applied, with all of the characters taking the situations they were in much more seriously, unlike Devin. But the difference there was that the Fireflies were utterly incompetent in almost every venture they pursued, which is why I called it out in my big critique of that. That game. Notably, they were almost entirely wiped out in the first 90 minutes of the game, and they tasked a random smuggler in the form of Joel to smuggle the most important human being in the history of mankind with the power to save all of humanity. You would think that if they were really the key to humanity's future, and if they were worthy of being trusted with it, they wouldn't come off as such amateurs compared to their more organized opponents. All of this to say, just because something is written into the story to try and motivate some other action or outcome, doesn't mean that the audience is going to roll over and take it uncritically. Going back to Immortals, writing the character of Jack in this way where he deflects serious situations and jokes to avoid facing the very stark reality that he needs to put up or shut up makes sense in the context of a story that is isolated, but in the context of a video game where pacing is crucial and where the first impressions really matter. I think they could have eased up on it a good amount. The last thing you want, as I mentioned, is an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man situation or something like Forespoken, where you establish a world that needs saving, but the hero doesn't seem to take it anywhere near as seriously as the rest of the cast or even the audience themselves. So as far as I'm concerned, much of this game's narrative could be greatly improved if the writers had agreed upon a consistent tone and decided if this was going to be a goofy Thor Ragnarok type of narrative, or if they wanted to go for something a little more grounded and meaty. Instead, we're left with a strange mix of the two that doesn't really pull off either. Don't get me wrong, this is nowhere near as bad as Forspoken as far as I'm concerned, but I do think it harmed my overall experience with the game. But setting all of that aside, the story itself I think is pretty interesting. I found myself at multiple times just sitting down and listening to the lore of this world and to the various characters discussing it. I insist that there is a lot of potential here for a future release, a sequel, or something like that. I think this world is really interesting and I would like to see them take another whack at it. Especially the opening sequence where you can see another side of this world that you aren't going to be seeing for most of the rest of the game, where peasants live and where those who are not part of the elite spend their time. Unfortunately though, I think the main story is held back by inconsistent performances and a constant attempt to be funny, especially during situations that don't call for it. Now to wrap this up quickly, performance wise, as I mentioned, the game is very heavy. It doesn't run super well in in terms of performance it's just a very intense game and you need some intense hardware to run it it's certainly playable it's not like the game was stuttering or anything for me or like it had any bugs or anything in fact i don't think i encountered a single bug in my playthrough however it is to say that this is a very intensive game and you should be prepared if you want to get it on pc and you should be braced for that. The music I found to be pretty remarkable. They did a very, very good job at this, and I even found myself humming the game's theme multiple times throughout the week that I was playing it, which in many ways is one of the best compliments you can give to a video game soundtrack, that it was memorable enough that you also wanted to keep it in your mind for days on end. And all told, I think Immortals of Avium is like a good game. Like I would give it probably like a a 7.5 to 8 out of 10. I think it's from like... Okay to good. I think it's in that range. I think it could definitely benefit from more consistent tone applied. I think a more inconsistent pace where they give you a chance to slow down and catch your breath effectively would also greatly benefit the game. And dear God, I think they could have cut a lot of the cringy lines where they're trying to have characters be funny when they just frankly aren't. All of that could greatly improve the game. But at the end of the day, this is a solid game if you're looking for something to play for 60 bucks. And if you're not feeling it there, I'm sure it's going to go on a sale or end up on EA play or game pass or something in the coming months in which case you could get it there and at that point I think it's definitely worth checking out. I want to be clear often in these reviews it can seem like I'm just trying to tear a game a new one and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to call out all the things I see as problematic and in the context of a review that's going to take precedent. I mean, you're going to hear a lot more of that. People often will just hear the negative and they'll ignore the parts where I say like, oh, graphically, it's really incredible. I think a lot of the combat sequences can be pretty solid, but it starts to get old as time goes by. You know, people will just hear the bad, and not remember the good so i just want to stress i had a good time with immortals of avium there are a lot of things i would change or tweak but all told i think it's worth checking out if you've got 60 bucks burning a hole in your pocket and you don't want to wait for a sale otherwise i would wait for a sale and then jump on this when you get a chance at a lower price point shout out to ea originals for sending me a review code a full week early again that's tremendous i love having extra time to work through games so shouts out that's awesome and as always thank you for watching i love you all dearly and I'll see you in the next video. Hugs and kisses. Bye-bye.